Uh, morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be back here with you again, and uh, thank you as ever uh, for your warm welcome. Jonathan, thank you for, uh, for leading uh, this morning to our music group and to those that have taken part uh, in our service. It's been great to, uh, to be able to share the morning with you so far. We've got a, what is a challenging passage, not only a challenge to prepare, but, uh, but a challenge to, to all of us as we look at, as we look at this incredible event uh, in the, the closing stages of Matthew. Um, I mean, that in itself is quite an incredible event, isn't it? I mean, I first preached in this church five years ago. And guess what I preached on? Matthew. And here we are five years later, and we're still rattling through. But we're almost there. But that's irrelevant, because all of God's word, no matter how long it takes to go through it, is useful for our challenge uh, and our rebuke and our training in righteousness, uh, as his word says. So Matthew 26 then, two uh, different sections of scripture uh, that we're going to look at uh, together this morning. Uh, if you wished, again, they're going to be on screen, but uh, as I'll follow you often in your, uh, in your own Bible. So Matthew 26, uh, first, really the first five verses, and then uh, the second six little lot that we're going to look at together. So Matthew, 20, Matthew 26 then looks something like this. See, told you. Faith, that's all it takes, is enough. So, Matthew 26 then. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherds and the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So as we move on then to verse 69 down to 75. So now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl uh, came up to him and said, you are with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it saying, well, I, do, I do not know what you mean. And as we go through, we'll read at this, that he went out to the entrance, and another servant girl saw him, and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. I know what that feels like. <laughs> then he began to invoke a curse on himself, and to swear. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, as we look at this incredible event that we are going to read together this morning, we're going to be prayerfully challenged about uh, this morning. Before we go any further, I just want to pray and ask God to commit uh, his word to our hearts this morning. Father, we thank you for this incredible event. Lord, of this uh, man who stood by you, who had seemed to have fallen. Uh, who had fallen. Lord, we ask your blessing on those of us that have fallen away uh, from time to time, from those of us that have denied you. And Lord, as we looked at this incredible passage this morning, we ask you'll challenge it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning's events then take uh, account uh, uh, during this, this massive story uh, of Jesus. 
Uh, Jesus is, is a matter of hours uh, away from the, from the harrowing end to his life. He is with his disciples during those final hours. They're together. They have been together in the upper room. They have been together uh, through thick and thin, so it would seem. And now here we have this incredible event to the end of Jesus' life. You see, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's in this, this garden, this place where he would spend those times, those final few hours alone with his God. Jesus and his disciples have, have left the upper room. Jesus has instigated the Lord's Supper. Uh, they've sung a hymn together, as that was what our passage start with. And it was, it was these words that were contained uh, within that, that song from Psalm uh, 118. These are incredible Just think of where Jesus is at this moment, what Jesus is about to face, what Jesus knows that is coming as we take Psalm 118. I will thank you that you have heard me and become my deliverance. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it save us we ask you O lord O lord we ask you send now success blessed is be he that comes in the name of the lord we have blessed you out of the house of our lord the lord is god and he has shown us his light bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar you are my god and i will praise you you are my god i will exalt you that's incredible that's the song that Jesus and his, and his disciples were singing, part of this song that was sung, of, sung at the time of Passover. It was this long soliloquy of praise to God for what he has done at the Passover. And Jesus is about to literally fulfill what the Passover really meant in his, dark, in his darkest hour. Jesus is praising God. You see, Jesus on his way to the cross, knowing all the anguish, the suffering and the pain that he was to endure, On his way to the cross, he is praising God. On his way to the cross, Jesus is praising God. You see, Jesus' song, though, from Psalm 18, very quickly becomes a word of warning. Jesus utters the words that the disciples don't want to hear. Jesus tells them that they will fall away or that they will stumble. You see, these men had been following Jesus. They'd been close to him. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd been astounded by his words. Where they needed to be right now was right by Jesus' side. Yet something caused them to stumble. Something caused them to fall. Something blocked their path. The original word that we get for this word in stumble uh, in, in the Greek is where we would get our word scandal from. That's, what, that's where it happens. That's where it comes from at this moment. You see, but this is not something scandal or even something scandalous. Rather, this event that happens was written about hundreds of years ago, if not thousands of years ago, by the prophet Zechariah. And he said these words, that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. The shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. You see, Jesus is going to be killed in a few hours from now, and his disciples would vanish Uh, They would be witnesses to Jesus' harrowing death, and they'd abandon him. Let me ask a straightforward question this morning. If you're a Christian sitting here this morning, ask yourself this in your heart. Have I abandoned Jesus? It's a harrowing question I want you to really consider. 
have I abandoned Jesus? You see, and if you have abandoned Jesus, you know that deep down in your heart, then fear not, because Jesus hasn't abandoned you. See, that's something to grasp hold of. It's not something to take hold of. That's something that should give us hope. The fact that we haven't been abandoned. Even though we've wandered off at times, if we're Christians here this morning. If there are times that we've simply left God to one side and gone and done our own thing. You see, when I was growing up, and I was being taught from the Bible, from the little classes and things we used to go to at at church and youth groups and all that sort of stuff. There's loads of silly examples of things that have stuck with me. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians. Apologies, God eats pink custard. I don't know why, it's one of those things, but it just sticks with me. And I remember those books. But this is one that also sticks with me. Because when we first become a Christian, when we first uh, invite Jesus to live in our lives, this is us. Okay, You can pick whichever side you want. All right. This is us. And what happens is this. So let's say, for instance, that I am my right hand, because I am right-handed. If you were born the wrong way round, you can be your left hand. It's up to you. But this is what happens. So God stays still, and slowly but surely, we move away. And the gaps get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But God stays still. And there are times when we come back to where we were at the beginning. And then we wander away, and so on and so forth. You get the point. You get the, 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 there is us. If we're Christians here this morning, are there times when we have abandoned Jesus? You see, we have a hope that cannot spoil or fade. And you will inherit an inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. But let me encourage you this morning to get back to your relationship with Jesus. So speaking of hope, Jesus has has told his disciples pretty straight. He's made it plain that they're going to fall away. I mean, I don't know what it would have felt like to be a disciple, to, to know that you've been around Jesus, you've seen the things that he does, you've pledged your allegiance, and then Jesus says, whoa, sorry, you're going to leave me. I mean, somebody's just pulled the rug out from underneath your feet. Yet in verse 32, Jesus brings hope. He says, after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. What an incredible statement. After I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. So there's Jesus. They're still in this place. They're still together. That Jesus knows that his hour is almost come. He knows what he's about to go through. The disciples have no idea what is to come in a very short period of time. And yet here is Jesus, who's already looking beyond the cross. He's already looking for that time to come. Because he says, when I am raised up. There are certain words when you look at, uh, you look at scripture, or you look at any piece of literature, things that you reach out and grab and remember. If you were a disciple... Would it be too far to suggest that that logically might have been something that you could have grabbed hold of? If Jesus is talking about death, if Jesus, particularly his death, if Jesus is talking about being left behind, that they're going to fall away, that they're going to leave him, but then he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. To my blokish mind, that means, ah, actually, all is not lost. There is hope. There's something for me to hold on to. You see, but Jesus, he knows deep down in all the anguish and the agony that he is about to go through, that he will rise from the dead and live again. You see, there's a picture painted for us with Lazarus when he comes out of the tomb. He comes out of the tomb wearing his grave clothes. 
Okay. Why? Because he will need them again. Jesus comes out of the tomb and where are his grave clothes? Folded at his bed that he lay on. Why? Because Jesus will never leave them or need them again. There are simple pictures painted in scripture for us. Jesus will never need his grave clothes again. Jesus knows that from that moment, when he is raised up, he will go before them into Galilee and he will live forever. You see, that is hope, proper hope. Not a glimmer of hope, not a a hope in something that that won't happen. It, It already has. Jesus is alive now, today. He has risen from the dead and now lives in every single person who calls him Lord. That's who Jesus is. This is not Jesus, some weakling of a man who was abused by the authorities, nailed to a cross, killed, never to be spoken of again, as so many millions of people have been, have, uh, have been through through history. This is Jesus, who's alive right now, who God raised to the highest place, who gave him the name above every name, that one day, at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow. He sits at God's right hand in heaven. That's who Jesus is. That's the Jesus that you can have hope in, proper hope. You see, yet the the sad saga of of Peter continues. As Jesus predicts that he will deny, he even knows who he is. Let's bring that racing back to us here this morning, sitting in this delightful place in Paynton. What about you? What about me? Have I turned, have we turned our backs on Jesus? Have we turned our backs on Jesus for too long? Have you denied who Jesus really is? If God is challenging you this morning over that very fact, then do something about it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get your life back on track with God this morning. You have that opportunity right where you sit. Let's get ourselves back on track. Let's bridge the gap and get back to God and what he wants us to do with our lives. So let's move on to the the second half of our passage. So Jesus then, he's been betrayed. He's been arrested. He has suffered the mocking and the dismissal of of Cephas. And and while all this is happening, his closest friends, his disciples, are nowhere to be found. Jesus is in the darkest hour of his life. He is lone and friendless and will soon climb towards the hill. You see, Peter, the man who said, I will never deny you, The man who said, I will never abandon you, is sitting in a courtyard while Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross. Now, we know that Jesus is arrested. If somebody is arrested, there is a separation between. That's logic. We just just have to take that as fact. Yet Peter is sitting in a courtyard. He's probably most followed uh, the soldiers as a paraded Jesus through the streets during the night. (laughs) There's a sermon in itself. The fallacy of Jesus' trial. Uh, No doubt then, along with the the crowd of people following to see what would happen to Jesus. Peter is keeping to the shadows. He's keeping to the edge of the crowd. He's probably an, an emotional wreck. Everything he has known, all the stability, all the words and all the actions, all the miracles of Christ, everything he has ever known is gone. Have we felt that at times? Is there a time in our life when we feel like the the rug's been pulled out from underneath our feet? We don't know how we're going to get through life. If you've ever felt like that, then maybe you can sympathize or rather empathize with Peter. And yet while he is sitting here, he's approached 
by a young girl. And she recognises who Peter is. Let's be fair, again, we can use a little bit of logic. This servant girl would have lived amongst the town of the day. She would have probably seen Peter with Jesus when he was around town. Peter, the disciple who was nearly always there by Jesus' side. The disciple who Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The, per- the person who was closest to Jesus at the vast majority of times. He was there when he, at his miraculous best. Now, in Peter's mind, Jesus is gone. It's finished. There's nothing else. Peter has the promise of Jesus ringing in his ears, or rather he should have had the promise of Jesus ringing in his, ringing in his ears from verse 82. When I rise again, I will go before you in Galilee. Yet Peter is so low that he has forgotten Jesus' words. But the servant girl says to him, you were the Galilean. She calls Peter out, and Peter denies who he even knows who Jesus is. Peter, this hulking great fisherman, is afraid of the words of a servant girl. And another servant girl calls him out and says that you were with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denies it. And then it gets worse for Peter, because now some bystanders hearing commotion jump on the bandwagon. Oh, people are great at that, aren't they? Eh? Let's be honest, if there's a bandwagon going, I reckon 60% of us will be on it at some point. I mean, we've had probably hundreds of bandwagons that we could have jumped on throughout the week, but if there is a bandwagon going by, you guarantee them. There they are, eh? professional bandwagon jumpers. They're there all the time. And so here we have this commotion of people, these bystanders. They jump on the bandwagon and accuse Peter for the third time. Even his accent has given him away. I preached at a wedding some while ago, and uh, I was after that. Somebody came up to me and said, are you Cornish? Now, me, you know, I just preached at the wedding. I was quite happy, you know. Had I caught me at a different time, I might have instructed them to leave my presence. But such, no, I just. Even Peter's accent gave him away. The fact that he was from the north, that would have given him away. Now, those of you that are northern, that's where we're going to leave it. But here we have Peter's accent would have given him away. Peter denies it. And this time he swears an oath that he doesn't know who Jesus is. He has no idea in his mind what's happening. He just denies Jesus outright. He says that I do not know this man. And immediately, immediately the rooster crowed. Jesus' words have come to fruition immediately. I notice, I, I love scriptures. Sometimes there are times when scripture is, I say this carefully, vague about when events took place. Yet there are some times when it comes right to the nub of the matter. And this is one of those times that immediately the rooster crowed. Immediately Jesus' words had come true. Do you blame him? You blame Peter for what he did? This is an interesting concept. There is every chance that if Jesus, if rather, if Peter says yes, he knows Jesus, then he could very well end up on trial for his life. So in that scenario, if we put it in that context, do you blame him? So the lesson for us then from Peter is this. It was the fear of man rather than the strength 
of the Lord that was Peter's downfall. It was the fear of man rather than the strength of the Lord that was Peter's downfall. Peter's downfall, he was afraid. He was afraid of what those around him might do to him. When the chips are down and we are under pressure, when life hurts most and we don't know where to turn, can we honestly say we trust in the strength of the Lord rather than the fear of man? Can we honestly sit here this morning, every single one of us who is a Christian, and when life gets hard, when, we ha- when life hurts the most, we can honestly say, every single time, I trust in the strength of the Lord, and I am not afraid of what man does to me. If you can, then the Lord bless you. And I don't say that flippantly. I say that because I mean it. Because I can't. There are times when we are put on the spot for God and we shy away or we back away. I wish I'd said. I wish I'd had thought of that. I wish I was like that person. Yeah? Does that ring true with some of you? I'm getting a few nods. This is good stuff. Is that us? If we can say every time, I do not fear what man will do to me rather than the strength, or rather I trust in the strength of the Lord. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing that no matter what life threw at me, no matter what I, whatever life made me face, I trust in the strength of the Lord. So the cock crows. And the realization of what Peter has done comes racing to the surface and he breaks down and he weeps. He weeps bitterly. Peter is broken when the words of Jesus comes true. He forgets the promise that Jesus made when I said, when he said, when I rise. That was the promise. When I rise, when I rise again, I will go before you into Galilee. That was the promise. Just in the same way that before the cock crows, you will deny me. That was a promise. The promise was when I rise again, when I go before you into Galilee. Peter has forgotten Jesus' words. Have we? Have we really got to a point where we've forgotten the words of Christ? You said, in me you may have peace. This is a cha- I told you, it was a challenging passion to preach, and it was a challenging passion um, for all of us. You see, Peter is broken when the words of Jesus come true. He forgot the promise that Jesus made. I guarantee the words of Jesus are now ringing clear as a bell in his ears. He has buckled. He has denied his master in his hour of need. Life couldn't get any lower for Peter. So what about this? Have you turned your back on Jesus for too long? Have you denied who Jesus really is? Well, if God is challenging you over this this morning, and I pray that he is, and do something about it, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get your life back on track with God this morning. You see, the cross, as final as it was in the minds of, those, of the people that nailed Jesus to it, was not the end for Jesus. Jesus' death was not the end. His death was for a purpose, a miraculous purpose. He died in order that we may have life and have it to its fullness. If you're not a Christian here this morning, make the most of the opportunity and accept that Jesus died for you on the cross for your sin. Peter wept. 
fishermen don't cry. Somebody once said real men don't cry, but I, think I ignore that completely. Peter wept, and he wept bitterly. His tears were tears of repentance. He had realized what he'd done, and from that moment on, in his mind at least, Scripture doesn't tell us, I'm sure he turned. Because there would come a time when Jesus would cook him breakfast. And at that moment, when Jesus and he sat by the Sea of Galilee, and they ate together, and Jesus said to him three times, do you love me? And then gave him a challenge to feed his sheep, to tend his lambs, and to feed his sheep again. Peter was reinstated. Peter would then go off, and along with his disciples would change the world forever. That's who Peter really was. He'd gone from weeping, broken, repentant, to being Jesus' mouthpiece at one of the hardest times to share the, world, uh, the messages in the world. So if you are a Christian here this morning, take comfort in this. The Bible is full of people who fell and at times turned their back on God. Yet God brings them through. He restores them. He reinvigorates them. Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter of people who are often called heroes of faith. The thing that unites most of them, and I say most of them, is somewhere in their story they messed up. Somewhere in their story they got it completely and utterly wrong. Some of them would have even denied they knew who God was, if it came to that, I'm sure. It is that Peter had been through the trial of faith, and he had failed. He had fallen. Yet Jesus did rise. Jesus' words would come true, just as he said. And remember what we said? That is proper hope. Jesus more than rose. Remember, he cooked breakfast for Peter. There came a point where he and Jesus would be together. And he would then, at that time, Peter, receive one of the biggest tasks imaginable. Peter, the failure in this moment, would, Pete, would be Peter, the rock upon which the church was built. The man who would feed Jesus' sheep, as we said. The man who would tend Jesus' lambs. The man who Jesus told at the very last few words of that account is, follow me. That was Peter. Failure to follower. The man who turned his back on Jesus and denied he even knew who Jesus was. And yet here is something to ponder. There is strong historical evidence of the way in which the Gospels are written and the strength in which the accounts of which they took the words that are in those, in those four books. There is strong evidence to suggest that the reason that this account of Peter falling, that we were talking about this morning, was in the Gospels because Peter wanted it to be. Isn't that incredible? Peter was willing to stand up and say that I failed, that I let Jesus down. He was willing to stand up and admit that he was wrong and that he shouldn't have turned his back on Christ. That takes tremendous guts and courage and a willingness to put your own pride away and to admit a mistake. The hardest word in the world to say is, sorry, I got it wrong, I made a mistake. 
You see, Peter couldn't be the rock upon which Jesus would build his church until he had realized how weak he was in his own strength. Peter was brought back in deep humility and repentance to Jesus. And at that moment, God had done it again. He had taken a failure and he'd made him a saint. So, what about us this morning? What are we going to do as we sit here this morning, having listened and been challenged to to this word uh, from God this morning? As I close, I leave you with a challenge to respond to you. If you have turned your back on God, or you know your relationship with God is not where it should be, I ask you a very straightforward question. Are you willing to start fresh again this morning? Are you willing to say that today is the day that I am going to give my life either to God for the first time or I'm going to recommit my, my life to God and I'm going to go his way? It's a challenge. This was the challenge that Peter faced. Peter made his choice when he denied Christ. Christ reinstated him, gave him back his position. So as I said, I would give you an opportunity to do just that this morning. I'm going to invite you all to stand. And we're going to pray together. I'm going to lead. And if this morning is a morning where you want to say, Lord, I want to give my life back to you. I want to commit to you a fresh start, a new start. Lord, I ask for your favor upon me again. I want to start walking with you again. And use this opportunity to do just that this morning. After I pray, can we keep our heads bowed? And if we respond to what God is saying to you, please uh, raise your hand when I ask. I'm going to play nice and straightforwardly, line by line, giving you time to repeat. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you love us and gave Jesus to die for us. Father, I realize that my life before you is not where it should be. I ask you to to help me commit my life to you again. Father, please help me to follow you and to walk closely with you. Lord, I want to say sorry that I turned my back on you and denied you. Lord, I want to recommit my life to you. I want you to be my king and to be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I ask this, everyone else, just keep your, your eyes closed this morning. If you, if you prayed that prayer and you really want to make that commitment before God this morning, uh, please just raise your hand so only I can see. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's pray as we, uh, as we close and we'll sing our, uh, our final song together. Father, we thank you for this incredible challenge uh, of your word to us this morning. Father, we thank you that we are uh, people who owe you so much. Lord, that we are indebted to you. Lord, there are times when we fall and we fail and we stumble. But Lord, I ask and pray that we will be a people who will cling hold or rather hold on to and cling on to to our God. That Lord, that we will walk closely with you lord that we would be ready and willing to commit to walk and to pray 
and to live lives worthy of your name. So, Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to